Thank you for the word. Thank you for this book. I pray that you will help us to learn from it truth to apply to our lives. In your name, amen. Well, it's good to have you all here. And I have something about the perfect husband, in contrast to Aiken, anyways. Several men are in a locker room at a golf club, and a a cellular phone was on the bench ringing, and a man engaged the hands-free speaker and put it on talk. So everybody stopped to listen. Hello, the man said. A woman said, hey, honey, it's me. Are you at the club? Yes. I'm at the shops now, and I found this beautiful leather coat. It's only 2000 Is it okay if I buy it? Sure, if you like it that much. <clears throat> the woman said, I also stopped by the Lexus dealership and saw new models. I saw the one I really, really liked. How much? 90000 Okay, but for that price, I want all the options. The woman said, great. And oh, one more thing. I was just talking to Janie, and I found out that the house that we, I wanted last year is back on the market. They're asking 980000 for it. The man said, well, then go ahead and make an offer of 900000 They'll probably take it. If not, we can go the extra 80000 if that's what you really want. Okay, said the woman. See you later. I love you. And uh, the man said, bye. And he, the man hangs up, and the other men in the locker room are just staring at him with their mouths hanging open in astonishment. He turns and says, anyone know whose phone this is? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Not a nice man. (laughs) Well, the last time we saw uh, the amazing battle of Jericho and the walls come tumbling down and the great victory that God brought about. This was a team effort. Everyone in the nation had their role to carry out, whether you were marching around or blowing the trumpet or holding camp back at the fort. The people were filled with such confidence in their God and in his power. It's amazing, though, that one lone person can sin against the Lord and an entire nation of people are impacted. Remember how Abraham lied and it almost cost the loss of his wife, Sarah? And then in 2 Samuel 24, David, remember, insisted on taking his census, though they said, don't do it, don't do it, his commander, don't do it. He did it. 70,000 individuals who had nothing to do with David's decision died. Jonah ran the other direction from where God wanted him to go, and his refusal to obey the Lord put an entire ship and its crew in danger for their lives. So similarly today, we'll see how one man's sin could be the cause of the death of his fellow soldiers and also bring about incredible despair for the entire nation. How often we fail to realize that our own sin impacts others so greatly, particularly the people that we live with, work with, or serve with. We know that God is immutable, which means he never, ever changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in light of this truth, I think we need to be especially attentive as we observe God's perspective on sin. Sin spreads like a cancer, and it must be removed and dealt with before it spreads and brings harm to others. In the New Testament, as God addresses the church, he speaks of church discipline as a means to protect the church from sin spreading and being defiled by sin. I realize it seems a harsh and difficult thing to do from our perspective, but the truth is we are just not like holy God. 
if there's been a victory over sin or a trial in your life that you've had victory, then it's easy to be tempted to be forgetful about that when the next difficult situation arises. I suspect Israel was feeling pretty confident and pretty excited uh, that anything was impossible with God with them and their army and with God at their side. So when chapter 6 ends, notice the last verse says, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Now there's a chapter division for chapter 7, but the first word in the next verse is but. And the but indicates that things are about to change. So we read, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Cammi, the son of Zabdi, Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. The man brought to our attention here is Achan. His name means trouble. I don't know what kind of parents they were thinking to pick a name like that for their kid, but apparently he decided to live up to it. So in the midst of the great victory of Jericho where the valuables, the valuables were all to be gathered and brought to the treasury of the Lord. Joshua gave explicit instructions that no one was to take anything for themselves. There was a complete ban on the spoils of war. That, that wasn't in every engagement that they had in battle, but this one, that was the case. Silver and gold belong to the treasury of the Lord. For individual soldiers to take then such items for personal use, they were absolutely defying the instruction of the Lord and their commander, Joshua. And the result was the entire nation of Israel would be accursed and troubled. So in reality, what Achan did was really steal from God things that were designated for the treasury of the Lord. It's interesting to note that even though it was only one man who did this defiant, rebellious deed, we read that God says, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully. God considered the people collectively guilty and withheld his blessing until this was going to be made right. The history of Israel could have ended at this moment had God not turned away his anger. Why did God hold everyone accountable when it was just one man who committed the sin? Well, the nation of Israel was considered one people in the Lord, and he dwelt among their camp. Therefore, the whole camp was to be kept Holy. And if anyone defiled the camp by disobeying God, it affected their relationship to the Lord and to one another. And just as we recognize that one man, Adam, was our human representative, and he plunged us, the entire human race, into sin. And also, it is the act of one man, the God-man, Jesus, dying on behalf of sinners that makes it possible to be in a right relationship with God. Well, the consequences for the sin of Achan are seen. We read, as I said, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Joshua and the rest of the army had no idea what had happened here and what went on in the heart and mind of Achan when he took the forbidden spoils. No doubt Achan rationalized his sin away, just like we are prone to do when we want something so badly that we would sin, at least in our attitude, to get it. Satan tempted Achan or his own flesh, to, as just as he does with us, to rationalize away certain behavior as okay when it is not. This chapter really has more to do with the wrath of God over sin. The first verse tells us it is the wrath of God because of Achan's sin, and the last verse speaks of the fierce wrath of God being turned away once this situation was dealt with. 
So it's in the confines of these, the first and the last verse, that we must look at the verses in between. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said, do not let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there, and they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Cherubim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Well, Joshua didn't waste any time getting ready for the next conquest. So this battle of Ai was about 10 to 15 miles west of Jericho, and he sent the spies out as he was regularly did, and they went out with great confidence. They came back actually saying, we don't need the whole army. Now, why they're making the call, and Joshua's listening, I don't know, but that's what it was, confident. We can take this. We don't need everybody. We'll see next week in chapter 8 that when they finally do go under God's directive, he says the whole army will go. So the city of Ai was smaller than Jericho, so from a human perspective, certainly victory seemed inevitable. But failure came as a result of God's anger. That was the reason for the defeat. Perhaps some were overconfident, who wouldn't be after what happened in Jericho. Some think the main issue here was a lack of prayer and overconfidence, and certainly there is an application to be made for those things. However, the primary reason for the defeat was the wrath of God. In showing this sign of his anger by allowing defeat, God was gracious that the number of lives lost were only 36 instead of all 3,000. The failure came to Israel because they were under the wrath of God, and all people ought to tremble at the thought of being under the wrath of God. He is a consuming fire. The spies were sent out, just as had been done with Jericho, and as I said, having witnessed what God did for them in Jericho, the soldiers assumed this is how God would work again and bring them victory. After all, they were obeying God's will to go out and conquer the land of Canaan. The assumption was that all was well with the people of Israel and their God. And certainly by way of application, we recognize the danger of doing the next thing or making a big decision without seriously praying about it. Or assuming that God will be pleased with the plan that we came up with without seeking his direction. We just want his stamp of make it happen. Well, the spies returned with a report that underestimated their enemies' defenses and overestimated their own strength. However, it is also likely that their faith in the power of God to do the impossible was still intact. They had seen his power in Jericho and had faith that he would accomplish the same at Ai. The defeat and death of their fellow soldiers left everyone in shock and despair. Now their own hearts melted as they realized how vulnerable they were to the armies around them. The soldiers had gone up that long hill to Ai, much higher from where they came from. It was a big ascent. But their enemies were prepared for the attack. They chased them back down the hill as the men ran for their lives, and 36 perished. And why? What brought about this defeat? And the land, well, now the people of Israel, after experiencing this defeat, had the same emotions of the Canaanites regarding Israel. Their hearts melted. They realized they're surrounded by their enemies. And when word gets out that they were easily defeated, it was not good. 
So the distress of Joshua has seen in verses 6 through 9. He tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his faith, face before the ark of the Lord until evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan, only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. They will surround us, cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Joshua heard the shocking news. And as we read, uh, read tore his clothes, fell on the ground with the elders. And they put dust on their heads. That was a common practice to express grief or mourning, or humiliation. And they did this before the Ark of the Covenant, the place where they they were reminded of God's presence in his people. They stayed on the ground all day mourning over what had happened. Finally, Joshua asked the Lord three questions in his anguish. Why, Why did you bring us over? Anyways, these are not words of unbelief. These are words of despair. This complaint is not like the unbelieving generation who complained in the wilderness those 40 years. Joshua is absolutely perplexed. As he appeals to God in prayer, we see the focus of his concern is for the great name of his God. If Israel perishes, what will they think of the God of Israel? One author put it this way, We cannot urge a better plea than this, Lord, what will you do for your great name? Let God in all be glorified and then welcome his whole will. There are times when the people of God today face similar crises and are confused and have no idea what in the world God is doing. And like Joshua, we must bow before the Lord in anguished prayer, pleading with him in the midst of our own situation, concern for the sake of his honor. A tragedy had taken place with the defeat in Israel, so how is the name of the God of Israel going to be perceived by the pagan people around them? So Joshua believed God had a sovereign plan, but he honestly cannot figure out what God is doing now. It may seem difficult to understand that God held this entire nation accountable, as we said before, for the sin of this man. But the bigger lesson for us to learn that here is that there is to be a fear of God in our lives. One man's nation, one man's family and possessions were all impacted because of one man's sin and God's response to that sin. I think we tend to take sin lightly, the sin of our country. Hello, the wrath of God is on our country. (laughs) The sin in our family, the sin of our individual lives. What little fear people have regarding the God of the universe and his holiness and his holy hatred towards sin. God says in verse 12, Therefore the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore. That's hard to hear. Nothing could be more frightening than these words from God. Nothing is more important than the presence of the Lord among his people. Achan had taken what was forbidden. He had robbed God and actually thought he could get away with it. I I think of the old movie with Forrest Gump. You can't fix stupid. I mean, really? This is really stupid. There could be no forward progress then for all of these hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children because of his foolishness. As one writer put it, and it's so applicable to us, sin causes the loss of God's presence and power. 
Sin shuts off the showers of God's blessings. Sin stifles and strangles the abundant life promised in Jesus. Sin paralyzes and immobilizes the life of the individual believer and the local body. God's message to Joshua applies also to God's people today in times of obvious spiritual defeat and decline, namely, deal with sin. God told Joshua to get up. This is not the time for a prayer meeting. This is a time to take action and deal with sin against the covenant of your God. Rise up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In the morning, then, you shall come near by your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families. It shall be that the one who is taken with the things under the ban shall be burned with fire, he and all that belongs to him, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. So, in these verses, God lays out steps for purging Israel of this sin and the reason for their state of defeat and despair. First, they were to consecrate themselves. We saw that, remember, before they crossed the Jordan. Same thing, prepare your hearts spiritually, prepare your minds for what tomorrow is going to bring. The next day, the people were to gather for the identification of the offender, most likely choosing through the means of lots. However, the guilty party was, uh, was to be destroyed, burned with fire, along with everything connected to them. Now, I can't help but wonder... What in the world was Achan and his family thinking at this point? It's evening. This is the plan. Tomorrow we're going to start. I mean, you got two million people. We're going to narrow it down to the one family, the one man. Did he really think by keeping silent he wasn't going to be found out? If he was truly sorrowful, why didn't he just come forward right then? We don't need to do any of this. It's me. Why didn't his wife you know, come forward. Why didn't his children? Why did they just do this? Well, why go through all the painful sorrow and going to nail, uh, get to the bottom of who is really guilty? God chose this process, certainly giving Achan time to repent, come forward. And as the list of suspects kept getting narrowed lower and more and more narrow, the tribe of Judah, the Zerites, the Zabdi, and then Achan is finally found as the guilty party. God could have immediately revealed that person at fault, but he chose this process. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And Romans 2.16 says, On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. What folly to think one could get away with sin. And yet as we point the finger at Achan, look at Ben, how could you do such a foolish thing? How often (laughs) we do the exact same thing. We know in our heart of hearts of a particular attitude or sin that we're holding on to or a particular behavior that we know needs to change. And yet, we continue doing it. And we don't really fear the wrath of God or his discipline if you're his child. Thankfully, God in his wrath remembers mercy. 
His desire is to restore Israel to favor. You know, favor. When David sinned, God sent Nathan to confront David when David hadn't dealt with his sin because God is concerned about the condition of the heart. God desires restoration. So that brings us to confession of Achan. Finally, Joshua stood now face to face for the person responsible for Israel's defeat. And he addresses Achan very kindly, I think, by saying, my son... I implore you, give glory to the Lord. Speak the truth. That's how you give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. So as Achan speaks the truth, that would give glory to God. And Achan can no longer hide what he has done. So now he admits what he has done. He sinned against the Lord. And he says so clearly the pattern for sin. When I saw the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. I coveted them, and I took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So as you can recognize this pattern, it's so clear. It's been around since the beginning of time, since the beginning of sin. This was the exact experience of Eve in the Garden of Eden she saw. It's okay to see. But it's keep looking, and then there's a covetousness, there's a desire, and then there's the taking. King David did the same thing when he saw Bathsheba. You remember, he asked his servants, who is she? She's the wife of Uriah. But he desired her. Had how many? Three, five hundred, seven hundred concubines, whatever, but no. Going to take the man's wife. He desired her, and then he took what was forbidden. Same pattern. I think it's easy to read and have condemnation towards what Achan did and yet fail to see we often do the same thing, whether it's a house, a car, furnishings, a spouse, possessions, whatever it is, we fall into the trap of loving this world and the things that are in this world. And you know, we studied 1 John. We know, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world's passing away, and also it's less. What comfort, though, we have from the New Testament book, the same book that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the point is, you have to see your sin. You have to deal with your sin. You have to hate your sin. You have to turn from your sin in order for fellowship to be restored. Achan coveted what wasn't his to have. Coveting wealth and possessions, that's certainly nothing new. And how did he stick all of this stuff in his little military attire anyway, don't you wonder? I wondered if he got a basket, I'll get the stuff for the Lord's treasury. You know, and whatever way, he put the stuff in and took a a turn (laughs) and went into his tent. He got it all in there. I think he showed it to the family. Look what I got, spoils of war. It's okay. Really? It's okay? Yeah. I'm just going to bury it. That's how okay it is, right? Achan completely ignored the command of the Lord and his commander Joshua. It wasn't that first glance that got him into trouble. It was that second longing look. He says in his confession that when I saw the spoil, well, there was no spoil in this war. There will be in others, but this specifically, no spoil of wars were to be taken. Everything was part of the Lord's treasury and was to be totally dedicated to God. So what he should have said, even in his confession, is, I took the possession that was for the treasury of the Lord. 
Instead of calling it, I took the spoils of the war. And maybe that's probably how he rationalized his sin away in his own mind. I'm a soldier. I came in. I'm doing the job here. I can take a spoil. We are continually exposed to material things in our world, bombarded, and it is such a seductive appeal. But we are to put to death, as Paul says, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, because it really does become then our God. Well, that brings us to the judgment of Achan. After sending messengers to verify the proof of all these stolen items, they took these things along with Achan and everything he possessed, including his family, and they stoned them. This was a national punishment for sin. It was done outside the camp of Israel, and Joshua asked Achan, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And because of the sin of Achan corrupted a nation, now the nation had to show its rejection of the sin that was among them, and the whole family was punished as well. I take it from the law of Deuteronomy, which Joshua had, 24.16, where it states that the father will not be punished for the sins of his son, and the son not for the sins of his father. That the innocent family members were not punished for their loved one's sin. But based on this verse then, I would assume that his family was involved in assisting him in the deceit and agreeing to keep it hidden. Similar to God's wrath against Ananias in the early church, whose wife Sapphira conspired against the Holy Spirit with her husband and both were struck dead. What a dramatic warning for all people in Israel that they are to obey what God says and not take their sin lightly. The penalty for Achan's sin is so severe because it was so serious. After the death and burning of everyone and everything connected to Achan, a heap of stones was put there as a reminder that God requires his people to obey. God takes sin very, very seriously. And we must also. This memorial was quite a different Contrast from the memorial of stones from crossing the Jordan at Gilgal to remember God's faithfulness and miraculous. This was a different set of stones to remember God judges sin. The nation had turned then from sin by judging the sin in their own camp, so sin must be dealt with uh, in our own hearts, and unrepented of sin that harms the purity of the church must be dealt with. You know, the thing is, God hasn't changed. He's not a different God. It's like this aspect of his holiness doesn't exist, you know, in the New Testament. No, it's the same. And I think we fail to see the seriousness of our sins when we commit them. There is little fear amongst God's people. Jesus talked about taking such extreme measures to cut sin out of our life. I mean, he talked about if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand, cut it off. Not literally, but do radical Things, whatever you have to do to cut that behavior pattern out of your life. When someone finds out they have cancer, you don't give them an aspirin. Radical steps are taken to treat the cancer. And sin is a spiritual cancer that has to be radically cut out of the life of a believer and out of the believers in the local church. Achan, whose name means trouble, ended up being trouble to everybody and the name of the place where he died is called Achor, which is a derivative of that, his name, which also means trouble, play on the words. This chapter reminds us of the danger of materialism, of loving things, more important than obeying God. It causes us to examine our own hearts to make sure we haven't fallen prey to Satan's schemes. Coveting what someone has 
having greed in your heart, is certainly nothing new. We are all guilty of these sins. Beware then of the danger of rationalizing these sinful attitudes or actions away. Get a hold of the fact that God is the same today as he was back in our story that we have just studied. Sin always hurts others. Think about the widow and the children of the 36 soldiers slain because of Achan. We are all a part of each other, so what we do does affect the people around us. There must be purity in our lives. There are consequences for the wrong choices that we make. Achan reaped what he sowed, and his sin hurt so many others. And if you're a parent, as a parent, you are either leading your children in God's ways by your godly example that you're going to obey God's word, even if it hurts, and sometimes keeping your word and being obedient, it really does hurt. But if you don't do that, then you're leading them in destruction by your own refusal to submit to the Lord and his word. Your, your example speaks much louder, louder than any words you're going to say to them. And you can't experience God's peace or his blessing when you don't deal with the sin in your life. And you know the Holy Spirit puts his finger on your heart. The wisest man to ever live instructs everyone that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Perhaps we all need a good dose of awe and reverence and fear of the holy God of the universe. He's not the buddy. He's not the man upstairs. It does matter that we take heed to his instruction. It does matter that we obey him. The reason we all need to be forgiven is because of the fierce wrath of God towards sin. And that is what Jesus did when he hung on the cross. He bore all of the wrath for our sins, for breaking every law. Faith alone in his death alone is for the payment for sin is the only way to be in a right relationship with God. So I hope each one of you here have called upon him to be your Lord, to be your Savior, to recognize your sin and that you've trusted him. <clears throat> Don't put off what you need to do if the Lord has dealt with you in areas in your heart of sin. There is always a payday someday. <clears throat> when Jesus returns to earth in Revelation 19, we reread, from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. This is the same wrath God had towards Achan. Let's live lives that please him and keep short accounts. So when we do blow it, and he does convict us, we repent. We do the necessary cutting off of whatever that's going to be to cut that sin out of our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and the truth of your word that you've inspired, that you've included in your word to be instructive to us. And I pray that we would learn, that we would think about who you really are. It's so easy to be casual with you because of the freedom we have to come into your presence freely and boldly with our requests, with our needs. Help us never to take that freedom uh, to a place where we don't be in awe of you, Lord. We don't fear the consequences for continual disobeying. Lord, I pray for each lady here that as we go from here, we would be women committed to obedience, whether it's submitting and respecting a husband when he's wrong, whether it's uh, loving difficult children or patience and impatience when we're driving or 
intolerance of people who have hurt our feelings and our lack of forgiveness. Lord, I pray that all of these sins, the sin of worry, the one we're not even embarrassed to freely admit we commit all the time, Lord, help us to take them seriously as an offense against a holy God. Lord, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Help us to learn from it and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.